Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Did you have a nice nap? This is the the podcast where (laughs) (laughs) who can know? <laughs> I just need all of you to know that her lips were so pouted when she asked that question. Listen, I'm trying to hit all of the experiences you might be having. How was dinner? Was your teeth brushing great? Don't forget to floss. This is the comedy self-help podcast where we read and review a popular book each week and we share with you uh hopefully an intriguing, compelling titillating summation mm-hmm. of the main points mm-hmm. of the book. Um, the, sure. the point is we are reading these so that you can go on with your busy lives and still get that beautiful overview, that perspective altering self-help advice that you honestly should have started getting like 15 years ago. And it's maybe too late for you. Um, but well. so that you can go through your busy life and hear the main points of a book. Yeah, you might not be lost. Stick with us. And uh, you can hear the main points and decide for yourself, do you want to read that book and go deeper? Or have you heard enough? So you're welcome. Go deeper. <laughs> Lisa Linky, everybody. I'm Misty Stinnett. That is Lisa Linky. We are reco- <laughs> we're still remotely recording in this pandemic. And uh, yeah. it's all happening. Oh, happy Independence Day. It's right upon us. Happy Underpants Day. Happy Underpants Day. Hopefully you're independent with your underpants. You get it. I don't have to say more. But Lisa, you are bringing us a topical book today. Yeah. Now, we're putting this book right before Independence Day in the hopes that it will boost your engagement um, with your civic duty to vote. And hopefully it's not a month later than it <laughs> than needed to start, although the author would agree that it's, we're already running behind. But I am bringing you A Citizen's Guide <laughs> to Beating Donald Trump by David Plouffe. Plouffe? P-L-O-U-F-F-E. Plouffe? I don't know how to say his name. Plouffe. 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 This book came out this year, and its release date was March 3, 2020. Wow, so it's fresh. Yeah, everything he says, it's so fascinating because everything he says is pre-pandemic. Oh my God, right, right. So all of this has changed. (laughs) And it made me think about like all of these authors, especially in the genre of self-help, whose advice is like, go outside, go join a class, go, do you know what I mean? Like go take a Zumba class. Meet with your friends. Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting. Okay. So, uh, came out March 3, 2020 is 256 pages, 1299 on Kindle, 1669 on hardcover, $21 on audible as narrated by the author or one credit. And Misty, I do have, um, something to share from one of our listeners. Our listeners, our longtime listeners are, as we know, brilliant. The best. Yes. The absolute best. And um, <laughs> Marlene has shared, and I love this. She shared um, 
Uh, You guys are getting like an email, not on a weekly beef. How exciting. She said, um, hi, ladies. Ooh, moo. Moo. I just started listening to your podcast. I absolutely love it. And it is giving me some virtual company while I work from home. Anyways, to the point. I would like to recommend a website called Thrift Books, where you can get cheap secondhand books or new books too. Maybe you can recommend it to your listeners since a lot of people are trying to avoid giving Amazon money. And this website will save everyone a buck or two. Thrift books. Thank you so much. Thrift books. I'm going to check it out. Okay. About the author. David Plough is an American <laughs> political strategist known uh, best known as the campaign manager for Barack Obama's successful 2008 presidential campaign. He's a longtime Democratic Party campaign consultant. He was a partner at the party-aligned campaign consulting firm AKPD Message and Media, which he joined in 2000. Oh, yeah. Akbizu. Mm-hmm. He was an outside senior advisor to Obama since the president's first day in office and was then appointed as senior advisor to the president inside the White House in 2011 following the resignation of David Axelrod, who went on to start Obama's reelection campaign. In September of 2014, he became the senior vice president of policy and strategy for Uber. Oops. Um, Oops. <laughs> in May 2015, Ooh. he left that role uh, six months. He was like, this is a shit show. In May 2015, he left that role Wee. to become a full-time strategic advisor for the company, but no longer employed by them. Um, in January 2017, okay. he joined the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative to lead the policy and advocacy efforts of to lead the policy and advocacy efforts of that initiative. In 2019, Politico reported that he joined the board of directors of Liberal Nonprofit Acronym, where he would advise an anti-Trump digital campaign. In early 2019, Acronym and launched Shadow, the app that caused the 2020 Iowa caucuses to be delayed. <laughs> caucuses. Okay. okay. To be delayed. So he has had a so rough what you're past. saying is nobody's perfect. <laughs> That's right. Well, I do want everybody to know he is very clear about where his um, loyalties lie. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. He doesn't yep. hide it at all. So He's written a book called How to Beat Donald <laughs> Trump. So that was so, that was a subtle clue. <laughs> I wanted to tell everybody um we don't typically tackle politics. I think it's pretty obvious where Misty and I stand on the political spectrum. Um I chose this book cuz my friend Niles and I were feeling very very um disheartened. And um I especially in February when there was a real lack of uniform messaging about coronavirus coming out of the white house. Yeah. And so I, um, I bought him this book and said, let's do a book club and read it together. And he was supposed to come on and present this. Hi Niles. And he listens every Friday when we release a new episode and I love him <gasps> Hi, so much. Niles. Hi. Um, but he was too overwhelmed. He does really cool work with um, Los Angeles and state of California. Um, anyway, he was overwhelmed and I was like, don't sweat. Sounds I awesome. got this. He's great. Yeah. yeah. He's a longtime loyal listener. And you know, here, here's a, um, a sobering statistic and mm. I'm about to share something I, read about coronavirus. So if you don't want to hear it, please skip forward. I know a lot of people are protecting themselves from the news, but I saw this statistic came out that if, if we had shut down one week earlier, one week, so March 7th, instead of March 14th, like everyone was saying, half the number of people would have died. Like 30,000 more people would be living. Well, which is only a third now. We're at about a hundred thousand. Oh, 
Yeah, because that's how quickly things change. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, we're recording this. We should say we're recording this on May 23rd. And the reason we're timestamping the episodes, as we've said a couple of times on other episodes, is that the world is hopefully going to look very different by July 4th. So if any of this doesn't jive with you or <laughs> or you're like, what are you talking about? Everything's changed. It's 2030 and you're listening to this. We get it. Oh, yeah. How is it? How is are you out in public with people? How are is it? Boards? What's happening? <laughs> also, what I like about this book is that he's giving his decades of expertise running and working on campaigns that can, and, and his expertise and what he's saying can be applied to any campaign at any level for any candidate. So in theory, you could read his book as a supporter of the current administration and the incumbent and wanting them to win and apply it. So he's kind of just, he's exposing himself as well. <laughs> he's exposing himself in his best practices. Yeah. And so anybody can use this. So if you are sharing uh, the secret sauce, that's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So there's nine chapters and an introduction. The chapter one is the chapter one is offense defense. Chapter two is create. Chapter three is register. Chapter four is hosting. Chapter five is battlegrounds. Chapter six is money. Chapter seven is the campaign. Chapter eight is voting. And chapter nine is election night. I'm spending most of okay. my time on the first three chapters um, okay. and talking a little bit about battlegrounds because I find those to be the most important for that activation energy, like to just get it started. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's real. Thank you. Okay. Uh, his introduction. Right away, he's like, here's the brutal truth. The 2016 election was won or lost, depending on how you look at it, by less than 70,000 votes in three states. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. But all, yeah, yes and no, though, because gerrymandering, you know what I mean? Like the but only that's way. Why. That's why it came down to those specific areas. Right. And in, right. if, 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 say, the Clinton campaign had managed to turn out the vote by, 35,000, that would have cut that margin down to something. You know what I mean? Like that would have cut oh my it down. God. Yeah. Oh my God. So here's a little bit about him. He talks about how, what has shaped his view in political campaigns. He lost his first campaign. He it was helping uh, run a U.S. Senate primary in 1988 and it came down to less than a hundred votes. At the beginning, there was an entry error and they thought that they had won by like 2,800 votes, but it turns out that they lost by 28 votes. And so they thought that they had like this huge landslide and then they realized they lost by 28 votes. And he was like, if we had just gotten like 56 people more out to the ballot who would possibly yeah. vote for, you know what I mean? Like it was crazy. Yeah. So he yeah. says, the lesson I took forward and deployed in every subsequent campaign I worked on over two decades in politics was to assume that each one would come down to a single vote per precinct. Act wow. like it work like it, think like it, prepare for it, and accept responsibility for it. Ooh, and I just got tingles. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's He's coming out swinging. I also need to say, I am a person who, and I think you might know this about me, as what I said, my friends call me the passion <laughs> of justice. I'm a person who takes the civic responsibility of voting very seriously. Oh, yeah. Um, I view it as a 
right and a privilege and a responsibility. I I have spoken at the Women's March in Sacramento uh, uh, on the Get Out the Vote. Yeah. For them. And I really see voting not as an individual act, but a community and a group act, which speaks to my Aquarian nature, I've been told. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And but, there, there um, have been times yeah. that we couldn't schedule recordings because you were like, no, I'm canvassing for this local candidate or I'm phone banking for this national candidate. Yeah. You know, which I just think is so cool. Well, I was very privileged to grow up in a house where I had parents who were active participants in our system who took me to vote with them when I was little. So I got to see it work Yes, and who explained to me that people died so that I could have this right to vote and people in other countries don't have this right to vote. And so I yeah. really kind of took it with a gravity and I still do. So it is, it's, it's momentous and I know it feels really ordinary or even cumbersome, you know, to a lot of people because it has been the standard for so long. But like, you know, we're living in a world where that could change. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Misty, I remember when I was little watching the news on TV, it was about a country that had just allowed voting for the first time, like an open and free vote. And there was this old man being carried by his family because he couldn't walk anymore to the polling place. And I just remember seeing my mom crying and my dad with his uncomfortable Mm -hmm. emotion. (laughs) Like I could tell that it was emotional for Mm -hmm. them. And now when I think about that, I get emotional. I didn't understand why at the time, but like now I do, you know, when you're little, you Mm -hmm. don't understand. But I think, of course, the older you get, you know, people who have died for our country fighting for these freedoms. Yeah. And then when you see people who are yeah. just so grateful to have an inkling of, of the freedom that we are privileged to have, yeah. it's fucking amazing. Anyway, there are still countries in the world where women are not allowed to vote today in 2020. And I would say that in our country, there is active voter suppression, which is 100 percent to me, which okay. is why we're doing this book to help That's ourselves. Right. Here we go. So here's what's fascinating. He wrote this book not knowing who the candidate for the Democratic Party would be. But he says it doesn't matter who it is in terms of getting ready for the general election. What? How can yeah. that be? So here's what he says. I quote, all of us who want a different um, occupant in the Oval Office need to do more than we ever imagined and more than we have ever done to win this fight. I'm talking about you, my readers, not the paid campaign staff, not the candidates, family and surrogates, not the pundits or strategists. You simply have to own this idea and accept that responsibility. And he says he's mm. asked all the time by people, what can I do? What can I do? And he says, well, I'm laying out all the answers in this book. He says, of course, uh, 90% of the electorate votes in states that are not really competitive. They're not battlegrounds. Somebody might say, I live in Alabama. We're going to lose Alabama. What's the point of working here? He says, or substitute California or any one of the other 40 plus non-competitive states. He says, I love this question. It's one of mm-hmm. my favorites. And the answer is one of my favorites too. Short version, we're all in this together. He says, and while this book is focused on the general election and defeating the sociopath currently residing at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, he says, a lot of what I want to teach and encourage you to try will work in any political race from city council member to governor. So basically, he wrote this book because he knows that no matter what happens in the primaries, the tactics and strategies for the general election are basically the same. Okay. Regardless of candidate, they would do it. That's amazing. Yeah, right? 
Okay. Mm -hmm. Chapter one, offense, defense. So he says, in any political campaign, the battle of the airwaves, which now includes phones in our pockets as much as TVs on the walls, requires playing both offense and defense. So offense requires sharing our candidates' ideas and plans and attesting to his or her character. This must be primarily a positive message, which is what some of us wish politics were about more of the time. Defense requires calling out all the opposition's lies and attempts to sow, sow division, exposing them for their uh, for the utter bullshit that they are. Mm-hmm. So then he reminds us that the big three networks spent only 32 minutes on issue coverage in 2016. No. What? Yeah. Wait, he even what? says 32 parentheses, 32 exclamation point and parentheses minutes on coverage. Wait, how is that possible, though? I'm going to just say three words, but her emails. There were so many things that they had to parse through and so many derisions and divisions that that were being thrown out there that the media followed those and we never got time to hear the issues from anybody. That is so, that's so broken. I know. He says, so here's what he says. We must take command of the conversation. We must play offense by painting the contrast between the incumbent and our Democratic nominee, by emphasizing the positive case for our nominee, by motivating the individual voter to do just that, vote for something, not just against. He says, Mm -hmm. I'd like to talk about the more pleasant task first which is playing offense. So he says some votes are not gettable, right? Like people who are going to vote for Trump are just not gettable. Campaigns are not going to waste their time on them. He said, instead, focus on the ones who are gettable, which really made me feel validated because I've been saying for months, I'm like, it's these people who either didn't vote or like, don't know how they're going to vote. We need to concentrate on. Yeah. And so he lays out five categories that these gettable voters fall into. First-time voters, he says these people tend to swing more liberal, but they're not guaranteed, and they often don't show up. Third-party voters, thank you, Jill Stein, Obama-slash-Trump voters, people who voted for Obama and then voted for Trump but might be willing to come back. He says they're out there. People I, who I voted. I, that, I'm sorry, that never occurred to me that that could be a reality until this moment, and I know that sounds so naive, but like, how? how, how? He says there's a lot of them in Pennsylvania. Listen, everybody, you have a beautiful state. You have a beautiful state. Go out in nature, clear your mind, and really think about what you've done. Um, uh, people who voted for Trump in 16 but are open to an alternative. And last but not least, voters who did not vote for Trump in 16 but are open to him this time around. So those people are on the fence. Mm-hmm. So he says, listen, much of the Democratic nominee's campaign will be spent obsessing over and communicating and measuring progress with these relatively small slivers of the electorate. And in the core battleground states, just a few hundred thousand people. And if the battleground map expands, a couple million. He says, you and I need to be engaged in this area as well. Oh. What matters is the deep understanding that the nominee must win the economic argument with Donald Trump among these voters who will decide this election. It's not to say other issues won't be important with many voters. And he was like, insert any issue here. But the economy will be the central front in this war. No matter what else is said and what else happens, target voters will need to see clearly that the Democratic candidate will wake up every day, make decision after decision aimed at bettering their lives and the lives of their families. And unless voters feel this connection and trust it in their guts, the odds that Donald Trump wins this re-election 
will soar. And if November comes and persuadable voters testify that, quote, he drives me crazy with the tweets and I think he's a terrible person, but I think he's been okay on the economy and the Democrat wants to turn this into a socialist country, we will likely lose. Wow. And this is this feels especially magnified, given the events of the last three months, because like our economy is in a more precarious position than it's been in decades. This is what I said. He wrote this last year. The release date was March 3rd, weeks before any stay at home orders or job losses and rises in unemployment. And he says, He even says in the book, we don't know what the state of the economy will be as we head into election day. And I said, boy, did we not? He says, but we do know that despite the previously low unemployment rate, many Americans feel no better today than they did three years ago, much less 10 years ago, right? And all of the moves he's made with tax cuts and the like have worked against this group, this group of people that he claimed to protect this the forgotten American. Mm -hmm. And this author really calls out the ridiculousness with which Trump portrayed himself as a fearless fighter for the forgotten middle class. He says, but yelling out of frustration is not the answer. We can't just keep screaming, which you and I like to do. (laughs) Right. Yep. Correct. He says, if target voters like and trust this man or woman and have faith in their commitment to help improve their own lives, our job will be easier. But if we solely rely on the nominee's charisma and perfectly run campaign to get people to pull the right lever, we will once again come up painfully short. Think of Clinton, right? He says, the subjects for us here and now are the undecided and persuadable and might vote citizens, the ones who are motivated by wages, not the wackiness, by health care, not hate. They exist and they're more numerous than some of us might believe. Great. That's actually really heartening to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he reminds us about Barack Obama in 20, uh, 2007 and 2008 when he was in primaries. And back then, the preferred method of spreading lies was email chains. So all of the birthers and accusations about Sharia law and secret Muslim brotherhood were, were spread over email. And at that time, mm. they had to launch a website to fact check. And they were bitter that they had to spend money. It was called... Um, it was called uh, uh, fightthesmear.com. It was a centralized low, like local place where volunteers and campaign staffers could go to get like one source of information. But the conclusion, he says, is like these quaint standards from the er- era of legacy media are gone. Gone with gatekeepers of ethical fact check media. The new standard, not that there even is one, is much more difficult to police. What matters in the 21st century is that any one piece of content or rumor that is shared by even a few people can end up infecting millions of voters devices in an instant, a political virus that no security software can catch or stop. And so we saw that. We know that Russian troll farms interfered in the 2016 election. They're still at it. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, it's not fair. We have to fight this fight, but we do. And he says the we I mean is us, you, me. We have to become a decentralized, organic, rapid response machine, complementing smart efforts at the top, I hope, from the campaign, but definitely not waiting for them. Yeah. I feel like my friend group and I are already doing this because when when the coronavirus outbreak first started, so many people, you know, I, I'm on a, a bunch of group WhatsApps because I've got like my salsa dancing community and I've got my family and I've got my other friends. And, and in some of these groups, people were saying like, Oh no, this is just fake news. Like it's a conspiracy. It's da 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 da. This isn't real. It's just a ploy to tank the economy or whatever. And already 
I have had to steadily, and it's exhausting for the last three months, be like, actually, here are the facts. Here's what's happening. Regardless of what you believe, I urge you to continue to wash your hands. And I keep wanting to just like leave those groups and be like, I can't do it, whatever. But then I think like, no, I, if I continue to steadily just be the calm voice of reason or fact, or, you know, maybe someone will hear me. And it's, it's worked eventually, you know, changing people's minds or seeing the outlook or, or whatever, but it, it is. I feel like we've all gotten practice at it and it's become more daunting as a task. 100%. And you are exactly in tune with this author because the second chapter is called Create. And he says, oh. it's no fun to feel like you're wasting your time, but you will not be, which is exactly what you just noticed. He's like, your engagement with persuadable voters can be incredibly effective. And if joined by enough others can carry the day. So the campaign, the party, the big outside oh. groups are all doing their thing, deploying data and analytics and testing a zillion ads on Facebook and all the other internets and social medias and that, 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 that. And he's like, also the Trump campaign and the Russians and other unsavory actors are also doing this. <laughs> but it's mandatory mm -hmm. that this big institutional weaponry be coupled with a persuasion army working the ground, block by block, house by house. I would say WhatsApp message by WhatsApp message, making the difference and moving these torn and swing voters over to our nominees column in a close election. So I thought that was really smart. And he does really approach like... He does kind of walk the line between like a war strategy with marketing. It's really fascinating. And it's like, oh, I understand why Obama won in, tw in 2008. And when he also talks about when there are predictions for precincts, they were almost accurate to like the 10th of the percent of how it went. So he, the, he oh my knows God. what he's mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that blows my about. mind that they can predict human behavior so accurately. It makes me feel like I'm a robot. <laughs> but it was because the Obama campaign had so many grassroots people out there working and talking and getting the data that supplemented these models. Right. Because he says, these right. are just models, not real people, and real people are better. So he says this over and over in the book, like one-on-one mm. -on -one conversations are always better than data points. And because... Like you and I will never meet the nominee. When we talk to somebody who is sharing their points of view or their, you know, um, record on voting, we get an mm -hmm. authentic connection. We don't, somebody in my community, I don't want to hear a smooth talking political, political operative on CNN. I want something authentic. And he's like, that authenticity yeah. from a one-on-one -on -one conversation, no ad, no money can buy an ad like that. And he says, to his experience, right. the vast majority of these conversations are pleasant, interesting, and engaging. And I have to say, from the phone banking and canvassing that I've done, when I have engaged in conversations past the people, the poor people who live in battleground states who are like, please stop calling my phone. Yeah. Those conversations are interesting because the people who do want to have a conversation are also interested in civic engagement. Yeah, it makes me feel it. Like, I think my hesitation is like, well, I'm just going to get the door slammed in my face over and over again. Yeah. But then I have to remind myself that, like, it's easier to troll someone over the Internet than it is like a smiling person. And yeah. you know what I mean? It like, is. it's a it lot totally harder. Is. Yeah. So he says weaponize our own social media and email lists because the Ru Russians are weaponizing social media. He says, yep, get on all of the social medias. And then he just wants to remind you, remember how Will I Am's video about Barack Obama took off? Mm -hmm. And Shepard Fairey's hope image? 
Like those were not requested by the campaign. Those were not asked for. They were just that, that, that authenticity spread like wildfire. So he says, wow. And it's so, it's like an iconic, iconic image. It is. So if each of us spends just a couple minutes a day moving message and content through our channels, like you were on WhatsApp, thinking about smart ways to work with the local media, doing some offline distribution, we can aggregate something that is real, authentic and powerful. So like if you're local, volunteer group is going to hold, is going to volunteer mm-hmm. for something on behalf of whatever. I don't know. And you contact the news to get coverage that really accumulates and, and, and amplifies it. And he says, when right. people see someone making the leap, it creates a quote, permission structure for following suit. He says, fancy term sounds suspicious. I know, but he's come to believe a belief. He's come to be a believer in it. So when I see you on WhatsApp, taking the time to challenge somebody thoughtfully, articulately, like kindly about Mm -hmm. fake news, it gives me permission to do so too. Oh, great. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's good to know. Yeah. He's like, listen, every platform is different. Learn, learn the tools and rules on them. Mm. Um, he says you can delete your account on November 4 if you must, but get on these platforms. Right. Right. So, uh, the first step is take an inventory and make sure everyone you're in touch with, uh, think of everybody you should be in communication with so you can stay in touch and see what they're sending around. Um, he's like, be comprehensive. And then he said, make sure your own personal network does not restrict membership to only the politically like-minded. He's like, now's not the time to prune your uncle John, who is MAGA through and through. And here's the other mm-hmm. thing that I think he does great in the book. He is great at giving examples of how to interact with people who do not think like you. Oh, good. Okay. Because that, that's what I need. That's, yeah. that's the kind of language I need to be armed with going. In. So here's one example. The book is full of them, but if, so if you're interested in that, I highly recommend reading the book, but I'm going to read, um, uh, I'm going to read this. It says, so you see a Facebook post from your third cousin saying the Democratic nominee hasn't paid his or her taxes in 25 years. Don't simply get into a frustrating and unsatisfactory exchange voicing your opinion. Respond with something like, Jennifer, of course it's Jennifer. I'm sorry, but that's just not true. The Democratic nominee has paid an effective tax rate of 20, and then he's just kind of generating information because he didn't know who the, mm-hmm. right? Uh, has paid an effective tax rate of 28% over the last 10 years. We know this because he, she has released his, her tax returns. Has Donald Trump? We'll never know, but speculation is that he paid zero or close to it in taxes despite being the self-proclaimed billionaire while all the rest of us pay our fair share. He says, then link to a Fox dispatch or a Wall Street Journal article that covers the topic and makes the points above. He's like, again, our nominee's campaign should make this research easy for us. But if not, mm-hmm. he's like, a few keystrokes will help you find. And he's like, post information that will seem credible to your audience. Don't share something from, mm. you know, HuffPo. But look online for compelling, shareable content that makes um, the best case uh, and then put these arguments in your own words. And he's like, most of us live in a state that isn't a battleground, but online, there are no state lines. And you might inspire or educate someone mm-hmm. in a battleground state on how to engage in and share accurate information. And he's like, this is mm. the rapid response army. Intensely personal expressions of the stakes in this election can be extraordinarily compelling. 10,000 volunteers turn into 50,000 through just a few minutes of video on your phone and quick upload. Mm-hmm. So he's like, look, email, newspapers, talk radio. He's like, if you're up for it, call them in and dispute them with the same content you would use 
uh, and the, on Facebook. He's like, you forced, he's like, it's a strategy game. Sports and politics is about controlling the time. And the time that they spend defending their guy is less time they spend bashing um, your candidate. <laughs> Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. A lot of people wouldn't oh, be comfortable wow. with that, but if you are, it's interesting. And then he oh, says, I, it makes my heart rate go through the roof. I know, right? Just thinking He's about like, calling us. Celebrities carry a lot of weight and they need to pull their weight. He's like, we need to exploit the fact that this nominee will in 2020 will enjoy the support of most of you who have tens of millions of followers. So get on it is basically what he's saying. Um, here's one other example of how to have a conversation with a potential voter of like a third party candidate, right? Mm -hmm. So he says, my recommendation when talking to them, do not launch into a speech about how horrible Trump is or how great the Democrat is. I recommend something simple that acknowledges where the voter is right now. He basically yes ands them. He says, here's an example. He says, I completely get that. I struggle with it too. Let's pretend for a minute that who we elect as president could make a difference because they're like, Mm. it won't make a difference. So I'm just going to vote for fill in the blank. Yeah. Says, let's let's pretend for a minute who we elect as president could make a difference. What would be most important to you to see happen? He says, meet them where they are, but go no further. Spare them the lecture on responsibilities of citizenship and how awesome our nominee is. They're not mm-hmm. in the mood for it. And it falls flat. Yeah. So he says, just keep doing all this. Keep going until November 3. Easy enough. That's what I say. Okay, wait. So what happens after you say, let's pretend they can make a difference? You just say, like, who would you vote for? Well, no. So when you say, what would be most important to you? And so then when they oh. say healthcare or climate, climate change or whatever it is, you just yeah. say, I totally hear that. Here's where, uh, here's why I'm voting for this candidate on that issue. And you just provide them with information. Oh, great. Yeah. And yeah that's yeah. it. But you don't try to, even though we may feel like, you're ruining the fabric of our country. <laughs> we don't Thank say you. that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because you have, um, you have to, you have to deliver a message in a way it's going to be received, even if that's just like planting the seed a little bit. Yeah. It has to be authentic. Okay. Chapter yeah. three, register. This is where your homework will come in. Ooh. Uh huh. So in political campaigns, there's only two ways to grow a candidate's numbers. Do you have any idea what those two ways might be? Uh, register people to vote. Thank you. Um, and nudity. Thank you. Those are both accurate. <laughs> um, one is to swing, convince, convincing swing voters to come to your side. Yep. Um, and uh, the other is registering new voters whom you think will support your candidate or party. <laughs> okay. You don't want okay. to register new, right? I, I don't um, want to accidentally register a bunch of, you know. Well, yeah. if you're working on behalf of the campaign, correct. Mm-hmm. As a citizen right. of the United States, I, I want everyone who's eligible to register to vote. Okay. Yeah, me too. So um, he's like, assuming you have a halfway decent candidate, he's like, it's going to happen. I'm convinced that getting these might vote people to the polls is actually the easiest path forward. It's not easy. It's hard. Ooh. But persuading fence sitters is even harder in his ex- opinion and experience. Mm-hmm. So he just gives this cool example. He's like, consider the scenario. Let's say over the course of a 60 day period, 5,000 volunteers in Mich- Michigan were each responsible for just four new registrations. If you were one person and you had two months to get four new registrations, that's one every two weeks. 
I could do it. I could totally do it. That's 20,000 new Michigan voters, which is double the margin of votes by which Hillary Clinton lost Michigan last time. See, <laughs> you guys miss his face. It suddenly seems so doable. Like when I think about swinging thousands of people, I'm like, oh my God, I can't do it. But if it literally is just four new registrations per person, I'm like, yes, I can do that. I can carve out the time for that. He says each volunteer's five people might have turned the tide in 2016. That's how ruefully I look at it. That's what he says. Um, uh, make sure your five are registered for 2020. The potential voters are there, but all the money, all the data, all the grandiose ideas about what's possible doesn't matter without having the volunteer horsepower to get it done. So let's concentrate our energy on creating a volunteer army of enough size, skill, and fortitude to reach these numbers we need. He says, if you don't raise your hand to help, we're trapped in the world and the electorate as it is today. And that's one that produced President Trump. I'm raising my hand. It's up. Okay, great. Here you go. Here are five steps that you need to do, um, which technically makes this a self-help book. Five steps that you need yep, to do. Thank in you. Order. One, make sure you yourself are registered. Go to votesaveamerica.com to make sure you're proper and ready to go. Two, yes. if you've moved and not changed your registration, do it immediately. And did mm -hmm. you know that non-resident college students in battleground states can register? Oh, really? Yeah, because they live there for a significant part of the year and the laws um, in that state affect them. So they, they're allowed to register in that state. Oh, that is fantastic. That's Three, fantastic. Make sure everyone you know is registered. Someone mm -hmm. isn't correctly registered, even though they think they are, especially with all these uh, purging of voter rolls. Make right. a comprehensive list, especially if they've moved recently, and triple check that they're registered at the right address. Four. When someone in your immediate crowd has a question, have an immediate answer or get to get it to them quickly. He says, just take a few minutes to learn the rules in your area. There's a great website, brennancenter.org, which will be in the show notes along with Vote Save America to help you learn like what the rules are, when you have to be, you know, registered. Can you register on election day? Some, every state is different. Yeah. And, and five, I do find they're making it so simple these days. Everything is like register with three clicks. You know, like write to your representative with one or two, like we'll write the email for you. Just put your name at the top. Like people are working so hard to make this very simple and very convenient. Misty and I also live in a very liberal and pro um, democracy state. Mm -hmm. So some states do not have it as simple. And we oh, that's invite true. You yeah. Not to move to California because it's too expensive and there's a housing crisis. Okay. <laughs> I'm in Number a closet. <laughs> Thank you. Number five, tell your story, capture your experience and post on social media when you're registering, interacting, canvassing, anything to help make that authentic connection. Okay. Great. Great. So Misty, your homework mm. is to get four new people registered. <gasps> oh, oh my God. Right now? Well, not the second, but to get 40 people registered, ideally in battleground states. And my friend, since you're from Florida, you may know someone. Oh, man, Florida. I'm so mad at you constantly for everything. Well, here's the thing. I ask people, I do this all the time and it feels intrusive, but it's no more intrusive than when you yell at somebody for their favorite movie or liking a, a singer. <laughs> you're like, they're terrible. Um when I get my Starbucks coffee in the old days, I will say, are you registered to vote? And most times I will tell you, most times it's a, we have a terrible election turnout in this country. People are 
It's terrible. But a lot of times people will go, no, I just moved and I haven't. And I'm like, boo, I pull up my phone and I said, let's get you registered right now. Oh my God. You're amazing, Lisa. Well, listen, it's their right and it's their privilege. And they just, nobody's invited them to interact. Yeah. And made it personal and said like, here, I'll help you right now. Here I am right in front of you. We can do this thing that you have shoved to the bottom of your to-do list and actually knock it off right now. Two minutes. Yeah. Or they're like, oh, I'm a college student. They don't know that they can vote here. Now with social distancing, we can just shout at someone from 10 feet away and be like, are you registered? You know what? All the time that Zoe has been um, barking at people from my deck, uh, I thought it was about social distancing, but now it's actually about being registered to vote. It is. And as a reminder, everyone, Zoe is Lisa's landlord. So what I was going to say about Florida is that I'm just so mad the way that Rick DeSantis has handled the coronavirus makes me so angry because my family is there. My 85-year-old grandmother is there. A ton of my friends are there. So that's why I'm saying I'm so mad at Florida. It's not, it's not even about your, your voting preferences. It's about like, here, here's the crux of all of this for me, this tangent and the corona statistics I shared at the top. Who we have in office matters. It is life or death. 70,000 more people died than needed to die because the people who were put in office chose a different way of reacting to this than they could have. They were armed with all the information. It was already happening around the world and it was delayed. With Florida, all of the beaches are open. Why did spring break still happen? Why did the governor of Florida not support the mayor of Miami, when he wanted to shut down all the beaches, like who we put into election actually matters. I have friends whose parents have died of COVID in this crisis because the leadership did not act in our best interest, did not take expert advice seriously. So this, uh, you know, I will step off my soapbox now, but this matters on a local level on a federal level, it fucking matters. It matters at every level. It matters at absolutely every level. Every level. I don't know if you could hear my landlord, Zoe, um, almost vomiting a little bit ago, but um, she's cool. Just in case (laughs) what you were saying upset her so greatly, she almost vomited. Um, Okay. We're going to fly through the rest of the chapters. Chapter four is hosting. It's about uh, how great it is to host events at home and how after the primaries, it's time to unite and heal. Now, listen, we are not allowed to host events. We, we're getting towards a time where we might be able uh, to have small gatherings. But the most important point of this chapter to me is that he reminds you, not everyone's candidate is the Democratic nominee. And, you know, I feel that because my candidate was Kamala Harris. Yeah. And I am still Warren 2020. I've, I'm still holding out hope that somehow she's going to come back. So he says it takes time and wounds need to heal before we can all work in the general direction, a general election with full force. So in 2008, he witnessed this with the Clinton voters needing to come on board um, for Obama because that primary was very rough, very rough and tumble. And he's like, but you know what? She set the standard and so did the nominee. They both were like, it's time to unite. And they did it and and they got on board quickly. And so now, and everybody kind of fell in line. Um, and I think you can see how that yeah. didn't happen in 2016 with certain um, members. And it really sowed a lot yep. of division. Um, so since we can't do that in you person. You were talking about Bernie voters. Yeah. I'm talking about Bernie bros. 
uh, yeah, yeah, it really, there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of anger. And you could say, I don't know, that in hindsight, maybe the Clinton campaign didn't do enough to give them time to heal. But I would also argue from the point of view of this author, he would say that that, that candidate didn't toe the party line. Right. Correct. And it's almost like we all have to remember we've got to meet the situation where it is. And now that we truly understand the consequences of, you know, I knew a lot of people who who did protest votes, you know, they were like, well, mm-hmm. I'm protesting because I'm still hurt and I'm going to vote for this person, even though I know they're going to lose. And it, it's just one of those things where it's like, OK, like we all have to remember that, like, even if we're not happy about it, there's something bigger at stake, you know, re- regardless of what side of the political yeah. spectrum you fall on. If your candidate was not the nominee, we still have to work together to make sure that the more responsible candidate of the two that remain is elected. Well, that's why I think it's so interesting because voting is such an individual action, but mm-hmm. it affects everyone on such um, a macro a level. scale. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's a real disconnect between that that um, in, in our electorate, which is why I think a lot of people don't feel like they need to vote because they don't feel impacted you know, and there's a lot of, like, this is a whole other podcast, but I do just want to say, I think that maybe there's something to take. I'm being real misty right now. There's something we can take from this, which is to invite other nominee fans in or other candidate fans in and give them time to heal before we ask them to plug their nose and vote for somebody they don't necessarily agree with. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's, it's going back to that other chapter where it's like meeting people of your own party where they are. Hey, I know you're bummed. I know you're bummed. Bernie didn't make it. And I feel that too. He had so many good things to say. Yeah. And here's why I'm supporting X candidate in his stead. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Or even just, yeah, I don't know. So we can't do that in person or we're slowly getting, but maybe we could do Zoom hosting events. He's right. like, the obvious opportunity for your next house party is the convention in Milwaukee in mid-July. Not happening. Thank you, Corona. I think it got pushed. Um, he's like, the, the host, the, the event should be inspirational and motivational and clarifying. It should make you proud of our party and our nominee. And then the next after that would be yeah. the debates. He says, gathering is good, even when it's going well or not going well. There's strength in comfort and in numbers. Wait, comfort, <laughs> you know what, wait, there's, <laughs> Strength and numbers. There's strength and comfort. Yep. Strength and comfort in numbers. Anyway, on to battlegrounds. So what is the cleanest definition of a battleground state? A state whose electoral votes really are up for grabs. He's like, there's not going to be electoral landslide. The battlegrounds will be the difference. There's five, maybe six. And he's like, I can say with certainty we need more effort from the volunteers than we saw in 2008, 2012, and 2018. The volunteers are the key ingredient. Then he makes this prediction, which I was like, (laughs) he says, if the economy weakens in the year before the election, more states could easily be deemed authentic battlegrounds by the Democrat or once battlegrounds turn into safer Democratic territory. So we're going to have to keep an eye out. But here's the bottom line. For those of you who live in a battleground state, let the campaign know you exist. 
exist and are interested in volunteering. Be persistent if you don't hear back. Be honest about your availability and time commitments and tell them what you're great at. Phone calls, making posters, making meals, whatever. They'll use you how they can use you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's like, um, an important note is the campaign as a whole targets funding based on where they have volunteers. So if you, that you'll get, Mm -hmm. they'll get funding if there are volunteers. If there are no volunteers, they won't get funding. Does that make sense? Yes. And I just want to circle back for a second to something you just said, because it never occurred to me when I think about volunteering for something like a political campaign, I get very overwhelmed because I don't love confrontation. I can handle it. I can make my way through it. But the thought of like knocking on someone's door or calling someone, like it just sounds so exhausting, especially because I do lean more introverted in a lot of ways. But you just said making meals, making posters, like it never occurred to me that I don't necessarily need to do the face-to-face interaction if I'm not comfortable with it and I can still support in other ways. So I, I don't want to fly past that. I want to really like let that sink yeah. in. Yeah. You could call them and say, I have experience in video production or podcast production. Is there something I can help? You oh, with? yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, because that's so any exciting. campaign is going to have a million things that need to be done, but you can help right. them best allocate resources. Okay. And then I he's like, that. thank you. Yeah. Um, And he's like, what about the 90% of you, give or take, who don't live in a battleground state? Storytell on social media. Engage authentically in person and online. You can make donations. Previously, you could actually travel to a battleground state. My friend Mary Beth moved to Ohio during the 26th election to register voters and to canvas. Um, And you can phone bank from your home. (laughs) Yeah. Because she's like, this is important. Yeah. Um, You can just Google. Mary Beth, you get the MVP. You can Google Biden phone banking in your state or your city. And the campaign should also have some non-phone ways for you to help out in battleground states. So there's lots of options for you to help. Chapter seven, the campaign. I do like that he lists out, basically, he's speaking to both the campaign and the volunteers. He's like, it's what the campaign can and should do for you. It's essential they honor your time and commitment with tools, data, data, materials, and culture to make it a rewarding and effective experience. So he's like, basically... Our volunteers needs our volunteers um, time. Uh, we need to have speed and accuracy, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, there's no definitive list, but basically, you need to be able to get something speed. He's like, the it should the longest it should take is ten seconds for you to find something to respond to a falsehood. Like you should have a cheat sheet or you should have a, like a website where you can go to it immediately. And then accuracy is like, it's got to be constantly up to date and ready for action. It's like, if you're calling a citizen and asking her to register to vote in Miami and she registered two weeks ago, it's a waste of your time, her time and the campaign's resources. So he's like, campaign, get your shit together. Make sure that all these volunteer efforts are worthwhile. And then I wrote, holy shit, he even wrote this. He says, we have an election to win, one of the most important in our country's history. A lot that has affected the race has already happened, and much more will continue to happen that is beyond our power to control. The state of the economy, pandemics, mass attacks, <gasps> foreign or homegrown. What? Yes. What? Tensions How or outright he... conflict or war. Well, because everybody he... knew a pandemic was coming, but he didn't think it was going to happen right now. None of us did. We always think we're above it. We always think it's never going to happen to us. Yeah. Oh, my God. So basically, That's wild. Like, we can't control that. But what we can control as volunteers, our commitment, our effort, our enthusiasm, and as a campaign, the quality of the tools and the data. Um, For voting, 
I feel very enthusiastic about the next election. I'm glad that you are uh, excited. I am too. Last chapter, election night. Basically, he's like, how you run the campaign should be how you how you work the election night. Plan this night with as much effort as you did the campaign. He's like, put as much thought about this as you would the Oscars party or the Super Bowl. How do you want to, how do you want to watch returns? Mm. Like all this stuff. He's like, really just think about it. Don't let it kind of fall off the cliff. And he says, Mm -hmm. we all know it's quite possible that the incumbent can win. If we don't get right, all that each of us can do, he probably will. And this possibility has been my entire emphasis for the preceding pages. And that is a citizen's guide to beating Donald Trump by David. Lisa, excellent. Thank you so much. This is our first like election. Yeah. Kind of thank you. Thank you for expanding the comprehensiveness of our self-help review oeuvre. Thank you. Did this did this book need to be written? Yes, with the caveat that I only because he included it that that the takeaways work at any any election on any level for any candidate. Right. And again, obviously Lisa and I are skewing liberal here, but you mm-hmm. can apply this to mm-hmm. anything. I wouldn't read it if it was like just a, a one-sided thing. Like I, I thought because it was useful for yeah. anything that this would be helpful. Which is, that's such a great way to go into this subject and this upcoming election with an open mind for the other side or other sides uh, yeah. views. So it sounds like it's intersectional in that way because it can be universally applicable. I'm going to take a wild guess here and say it's very practical Patty and it's not woo-woo. Did I have a whole section so, on lighting incense and candles? No, I'm just kidding. Here's, listen, to, to get your candidate elected, corner them and align their chakras. Make a vision board. <laughs> I can't. Think the right thoughts and the right person will be in office. So yeah, it's all our faults. We were thinking the wrong thoughts in 2016. <laughs> Just because it hasn't been said uh, recently enough, fuck the secret. Okay, so yes. who this is book this book is perfect, perfect for, for? Anybody who is interested in ever running a campaign or being a candidate at any level. It's for anybody who would like to see a change in the Oval Office, for sure. Um, and for anybody who is interested in campaign management, I would say. And I will offer for anybody who wants to more expertly smack down people in their family that they don't agree with. Yeah. Um, who's it, who's it terrible for? Um, it's terrible for people who don't want to put forth any effort. Yep. That's correct. It's terrible for people who don't want to read a book about political campaign strategy. I think just want things to change. And it sounds like you're already putting things in practice from this book. I mean, you're already volunteering and canvassing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you've given me my homework. And I yeah. I think I'm obviously not going to be able to report on my homework between now and the next mini-sode, but I, I will definitely do a check-in. Thank yeah. you. 60 days. Listen, can everyone out there... I'm going to make it easy on myself. Um, longtime loyal listeners, new new listeners that are with us, can you double-check if you're registered to vote? And if you're not, or if you need to update it, can you then write me at gohelpyourselfpodcast <laughs> at gmail.com? Oh, you get to I claim all of you. Okay. Okay. I see how it goes. Okay. Well, if, well, if there's eight of you, come help me with my homework. It's a global <laughs> pandemic and it just, everyone, you know, pause the podcast right now. Go see if, 
you're registered. Just Google it. Update your information. You don't even have to pause. You can just uh, scroll down and hit. Uh, I think it's Vote Save America. It's it's in the it's in the show yeah. notes. And while you're there, you give know us what? A freaking five star rating for helping the democracy. Don't overwhelm them with tasks to do. But listen, we will we'll wait right here and we'll sing you a little song while you do it. God bless America. Him or her or them. And guide they. Or they or Or they. (laughs) With the light. What? From Uh, a bright? That is bright. From the sea. From above. Oh, yep. And the mountains. Okay, great. Thank you so, thank you so much. Okay. And with that, everybody. May your early voting. Be abundant. Be abundant. <laughs> Yay! Bye-bye. All America. Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, was produced by Misty Stinnett, Lisa Linky, and Matt Sav. Our theme song was also written by Matt Sav. He's amazing. <laughs> do you want to get in touch? You do. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And you know, you can also find us on the social medias, Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast, Twitter at Podcast, or check out our website, gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to help other people discover our show. It's really the least you can do. And why don't you tell all of your friends? Bye! Bye.